Okay, welcome back to the V Word. This is Dr. Erica and Dr. Jen. Jenna, 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 Jenna. Jenna. We could just say it together. <laughs> um, and this, we are really excited about this episode because we have uh, this. One of the main reasons we decided to do this podcast was to bring some of the human stories to some of the policy and um, and medical sort of lingo and terminology that we have all the time and to really humanize those stories. And this week's story is really important. Um, And to give a little bit of background about why it's important right now, the Supreme Court is issuing, probably by the time you listen to this, will have issued a decision on the latest of many Supreme Court decisions about abortion. Um, And Jen, can you just tell us a little bit about what this, what's the name of this case? What is it about? Um, What is it deciding? Yeah, so this is June Medical Services versus Russo. And of course, these all have like fancy names, but essentially it comes down to this. The state of Louisiana has a law in place. It's called a TRAP law or a Targeted Regulation Against Abortion Providers law that basically says that if you're going to provide abortion in that state, you have to have something called admitting privileges at the local hospital, like nearby where you provide care. And that is a kind of... um, deal you have with the hospital so that if anything happens and you need to provide emergency care for someone, you have a connection, a, a partnership with that hospital and they've, um, you know, they'll allow you to operate there. The and reason it doesn't so reasonable, right? It, on the right. surface, but <laughs> on explain, the surface, ex- yeah, explain yeah. why that's absurd actually. On the surface, but there's so many reasons why it's absurd. Um, but I think the biggest two that I always tell people about are one, um, the, the rate of complications with abortion is incredibly rare. So the chance that you're actually going to need to get emergency services involved and admit someone to a hospital because of a complication from an abortion is less than 1%. It's very rare. And the second thing is, if someone ends up needing care, like say a woman goes home after her procedure and starts bleeding or has an infection and needs to get help right away, she's going to go to the local ER or the emergency room, wherever she is. She's not going to go back to the exact hospital where that one provider who did her abortion has admitting privileges. Um, So it just doesn't even make sense. Uh, and there's anyway. already a law that, and there's already a law that at every emergency room, you people have to provide care, and actually very right. rarely do doctors at outpatient clinics have admitting privileges at every hospital in their area. So, like right. for example, right. we don't in all the hospitals around us. Yeah. Um, we we just have admitting privileges at one hospital. So I right. think that that's sometimes for people who aren't involved in medicine seems really funny, but is actually. So it's like so silly. It's like all these laws yeah. just trying to um, limit abortion. Bank on, yeah, limit abortion and bank on people not understanding. Oh yeah. So anyway, so in Louisiana, that does that's exactly what it just did. So um, the backstory behind this is that in 2016, because you have to kind of understand the backstory. So sorry for getting into the weeds a little bit, but I'll try to make it really easy to understand. In 2016 the Supreme Court heard a really important case called Whole Women's Health versus Hellerstead. And it basically was trying this exact thing, trap laws in the state of Texas. And they essentially found that it was unconstitutional, that based on previous abortion laws back in the 90s, they are not allowed to make these kinds of laws um, occur because it provides what they call an undue burden to women. It, It makes abortion harder. It's not providing any kind of added medical safety. So they made this law. 
And we know in Texas, the laws that that sort of caused that case to go to the Supreme Court closed over half, like half the clinics in Texas. So they have huge implications on people being able to provide and receive care. Right. And it's because in addition to admitting privileges, these trap laws often say stupid things like your hallways need to be a certain uh, number of feet wide, or you need to have this certain type of lighting, just all these things that these clinics could not afford to um, actually make that, happen. That are expensive. That are expensive. Right. I think that's so like a key they went factor. bankrupt. Yeah. yeah. So essentially they went bankrupt. They closed half of them, whatever. So in 2016, they say that's unconstitutional. The very next year, Louisiana tries to pass the exact same law. And the Supreme Court says, wait a minute, didn't you just hear us? We said that's not legal. No. Um, but meanwhile, President Trump has been elected. He's promised to put anti-abortion justices into the Supreme Court. And And so they know this, and he did, Kavanaugh, Gorsuch. And so they kick it back up to the district court. They fight back. It goes back up to the appellate court. And anyway, it goes all the way up the chain to the Supreme Court, knowing that by the time it gets there, Trump has now changed the composition of the Supreme Court in a way that they will try to undo what they did in 2016. So So they're trying the same case, same case, the exact same case different judges. But but in Louisiana right now, there is one guy, one abortion provider who is doing, who under these trap laws is able to provide this care. Um, so one physician who has admitting privileges. Right. Who's able to, has made this agreement work out actually and can do this, which is just ridiculous. And so you can one, imagine. One abortion care provider in the whole state of Louisiana. Right. For all the people in Louisiana. Right. My gosh. So we are about to hear what they're going to decide about this case. And best case scenario, they say, oh, never mind. We already made up our mind about this in 2016. Forget it. This is not legal. I do not think that's going to happen based on who's on the court now. Worst case scenario, and this is a whole nother complicated thing, is that they say, yes, we'll allow this law to go into effect. All these other states can start trying similar trap laws. And there are 15 other states right now in the U.S. that have trap laws waiting to go should this get approved. Um, And then there's this idea that halfway through uh, this case, the plaintiffs brought up, um, which is the idea of third-party ruling. That sounds really confusing, but it's this idea that a doctor or a medical organization like Planned Parenthood, NARAL, in this case, June Medical Services, can act on behalf of the, the actual woman that these uh, cases would mm-hmm. would affect to sue. And that's a problem for a couple of reasons. One, the last time we had uh, an actual woman file suit in an abortion case was Roe v. Wade. And look what happened to Norma McCourty or Jane Roe. Yeah. Everything like, since then has been clinics or physicians right. or, or, or organizations. Right, because yeah. it causes that person to basically be in a line of fire, ruin their mm-hmm. life. You're the, you have a target on your back. But also, if you, for example, were suing about a certain case, for that mm-hmm. case to actually go all the way up to the Supreme Court, say you were suing about like a 20-week abortion ban yeah. and, because, it, because it affected you. Right. You're not going to get a case there in 20 right. weeks, right? Like it'll it be years later. Care. Right. So it right. just doesn't make sense. And that's why doctors or organizations will often sue on their behalf because they have the money and the time and the power and to do it. And it's usually not one individual patient, right? It affects like right. every patient right. in Louisiana right now. Right. <laughs> so example. they're saying that this is unconstitutional to do that because the doctor and the organization can profit from it, which is bullshit. And that the wow. actual woman, well, it's really bullshit because of a trap law. Like why would a patient care where the person has admitting privileges, but you know, whatever. 
Um, but this is what's so scary about this situation. Mm-hmm. I don't know how this could go, but theoretically, you could imagine a situation where if they found that unconstitutional, all of the hundreds of laws that are in like legal limbo right now pertaining to abortion um, would essentially what be unconstitutional because they're all brought on behalf of patients, but by doctors and by medical organizations. And this is the thing we've been talking about for so long and that the ACLU and the Center for Reproductive Rights and Planned Parenthood have been so aware of is that there's not going to be this like out, outward reversal of Roe v. Wade. It's going to be this like slow, subtle chipping away that's just sneaky and uh, brutal and horrific, really, would have a so, sweeping impact so without sneaky. having to return, overturn Roe. Exactly. I mean, it's like evil genius. It is evil effing genius but um you know i want to bring it back to uh this episode we try i mean instead of just going on and on about abortion laws because we get stuck in the weeds again as erica said we always want to bring it back to an actual story of the story or an experience of someone who's actually experiencing what we're talking about and in this case we're going to hear from a woman ariana offshar who is going to tell her story about how one of these anti-abortion laws horrifically affected her life. So stay tuned for that. Hi, my name is Ariana. Um, I think my story starts last year. Um, I got married and I got married to the man of my dreams. He's perfect for me. And we have like a absolutely beautiful wedding everything went so right I like I couldn't have imagined such a perfect day and I really wanted to get pregnant I really wanted to have kids um so we actually got pregnant like a week after we got married and I found out really quickly because I had, I was like peeing on sticks from like day one <laughs> so um we found out really early and I was like so excited because I just was like I'm the luckiest girl alive this doesn't happen to anybody they like meet the man of their dreams and they get pregnant this quickly and I didn't have any problems conceiving and we're all making jokes that you know my husband should be a baseball hitter because you know this is like you know a pitcher or whatever because like you know dang that aim like (laughs) so um yeah so we got pregnant really really quickly and um of course I told people too early because I was just so excited and I didn't really imagine that anything can go wrong um so I went to my six-week appointment which is earliest that they would see me and they're, they said, oh, yeah, you know, this heartbeat looks good, but it's a little bit small given your ovulation date. So why don't you come back in two weeks just in case? And my husband was traveling at the time. So my mom went with me to that appointment. And then we went to the eight-week one. They said, I'm so sorry, honey, there's no more heartbeat and you know, you've miscarried. And that was hard. But at the same time, it was so early. And, you know, and especially with my mom there, like, she, she just powered me through it. You know, this happens to a fourth of all women. It's not a big deal. It's nothing you did you know, maybe that you just got too lucky with everything that's happened. Maybe you just need a little bit of bad luck to kind of like, you know, bring you back down to earth, but this is going to be okay. Um, so miscarried, uh, towards the end of October. And then they told me to wait for a period and then you can try again. So towards the end of December, kind of started trying again. Um, and then beginning of January, I found out I was pregnant. So once again, we're making all these jokes about my husband being like the world's best pitcher and like, you know, wow, what aim, (laughs) whatever. And so, I was really excited, but at the same time, I was trying to kind of not go overboard just because of what had happened last time. And so we go to our first appointment at eight weeks. And, and uh, before we were living in California, but we had just moved to Washington. 
so we go to our appointment at eight weeks and I'm just kind of holding my breath, like expecting, hoping for the best, but not knowing if they're going to say, you know, I'm sorry, there's no heartbeat again or something. But we go and the doctor was so sweet and she was like, yep, there's a heartbeat. And more importantly, there's one. And, you know, you guys are good. There's, you got one little baby. And actually I was, at that point, I was like really excited. But I know that you can still miscarry up to 12 weeks, still very common. And so I was still kind of trying not to get too excited. And so for the next kind of few weeks, I kept like pointing to my stomach and I'd be like, babe, do you think someone's in there? Do you think someone's in there this time? Or do you think, you know, is it going to be like last time where no one's in there when we go back? And he was like, no, I think someone's in there. And so we went to, um, at 10 weeks is when they can do kind of some more uh, blood work um, and they check for any chromosomal issues and um, they do the nuchal translucency ultrasound. And so we went at that, we went together and, um, you know, we got to see his face. And um, I'm I'm Middle Eastern, and so I have like a decent sized nose. <laughs> My husband's Caucasian; he has like a cute little nose. And so when we go to the ultrasound, like the baby, like he already had, he already had like a cute little nose. I like it looked just like my husband's face. It was the cutest thing. So we got to see him on the ultrasound at ten weeks, and then uh, we found out it was a boy. Which up till then it hadn't really hit my husband yet that we were having a baby. Kind of you know before that it was just like you know a blob, and he just like that night when we found out it was a son to me I was I mean I was excited either way but he just like started crying and he was like I'm having a son you're telling me I'm gonna have a son and he was like that's when it really hit him and really became real for him at 10, 10 weeks and so at 12 weeks everything looked good um no chromosomal issues everything was good and then this is kind of right when coronavirus starts hitting and it was bad in Washington and it wasn't as bad in California at that time and so my mom was like well you know if, if schools are canceled and, and everyone I already worked from home and now my husband's school was canceled. So he had to work from home. So she was like, why don't you guys come back to California so that I can take care of you. And, and, you know, we have a little bit more space here. So we drive down to California and then I call an OBGYN in California and I get set up to go at 18 weeks. Um, just to, um, to, oh, sorry. Yeah. At 18 weeks to go see her. And so we buy a home heartbeat monitor. And so we start like listening to his heartbeat every night because this whole, this whole thing of me pointing to my stomach and saying, hey, baby, is, do you think someone's in there? <laughs> like that's continued this whole you know, 16 weeks. And so we get the heartbeat thing. And so now we start listening every night and it's like the most soothing sound in the whole world. Just like, like he's in there, he's, he's in there and his heart's beating and like everything's good. And at this point, like I'm starting to get a little bit more of a tummy. And so we're like you know, taking pictures once a week and, and um, it's like really real for me, really real for my husband. Um, so at 18 weeks, we go see the OBGYN here and she just does a quick heartbeat thing and kind of checks for, just kind of put, um, you know, touches my stomach with her hands and says, oh yeah, uterus is where we expected and heartbeat's good. And so, um, she tells me I should go schedule myself for the anatomy ultrasound. And my doctor in Washington had told me she likes it at, done at 20 weeks. And when I came to California, that doctor said, you can do it between 18 and 22, you know, just, you know, whenever you can get yourself scheduled. So um, I call the ultrasound place and she tells me, and I'm already 18 weeks, so I call the ultrasound place and they say, no, we like to do it between 19 and 21. So they scheduled me for 19 in a few days. Um, so I'm like so excited. But at this point, I've also I've joined like all the Facebook pregnancy groups. <laughs> so I'm, I'm like starting to see all the horror stories and stuff. And so I'm like, oh my gosh, what if like the, what if like his umbilical cord is wrapped around his neck? Or what if, like, what if he, there was an amniotic sac and he lost a finger already? Is there, like, so I'm just, like, already, like, going off the deep end with, like, you know, paranoia. But at the same time, like, I, I can't imagine that anything's really going to be wrong. Like, nothing's actually going to be wrong. Um, and so the day comes for my anatomy ultrasound. Um, and my husband, because he's doing his online classes and also because of um, coronavirus, they weren't letting anybody in except for the patient. 
And so he says, like, do you mind if your mom takes you and I just stay home so I can finish my classes? You know, why don't you just call me on speaker when the doctor wants to talk and, you know, can you record for me? But do you mind if I don't come? Because I kind of give him some attitude. I'm like, that's fine. You know, my mom can take me. So I go downstairs and I'm like, oh, hey, mom, you're taking me. And she like, she just immediately starts crying and like panicking. And she's like, no, I can't go. I was with you last time when we found out it didn't have a heartbeat. I can't be with, and she just like completely fell apart, which really surprised me because when I had, when I had the miscarriage, um, she didn't, she seemed fine. You know, she was like, no, this happens to everybody. Like, let's keep going. No big deal. (laughs) You know, Hey, it's a good time for you to lose some weight and try again. You're fine. (laughs) But uh, (laughs) you know, it had hit her. I didn't realize that it had hit her. So she starts crying and she's like, I can't be the one to take you. And so I go upstairs and tell my husband, like, sorry, you got to come. And, and she, I didn't know this, but she goes and tells my dad, like, hey, you got to come. So now we come downstairs, it's all four of us that are apparently going. And then my dog can't be left alone. So he has to come too. So now it's like the five of us in this clown car <laughs> going to my appointment. <laughs> and so, you know, we all, we get in the car, we go there, you know, I have to wear my mask, everyone's sitting in the car. So um, we go in and the tech sits me down. And so I start like, you know, unloading on her of all these horror stories I've heard on Facebook and like is it this? Is it this? Or do I have an amniotic sac? Do I have this? And so she's like, no, no, you know, don't get scared about that kind of stuff. And then she starts doing the ultrasound and she asks me, did your water break or did you have, you noticed your water breaking? And I thought this was just like a normal, like course, yeah. normal question. And so I say, um, so I'm like, no, no, nothing. I haven't had any symptoms. I'm perfectly fine. Like this is the easiest pregnancy. Everything's great. And so she does the whole thing. And, um, you know, and this whole time I had been like, is he going to have, you know, 10 fingers, 10 toes? Like, is he still going to have my husband's nose? Does he still have a good chin? Like, I want to see everything. I'm so, like, so excited. So she does an hour long ultrasound and then she doesn't really say much, which I know that the techs are not allowed to say much. Mm-hmm. So she leaves and then she comes back um, with a doctor and, and he sits down and, and he's like, oh, you know, hi, nice to meet you. And then he says, I'm very sorry, but I'm really concerned with your ultrasound. If you look over here, there's no, um, I don't, I don't see any kidneys. Um, there's no kidneys. There's no amniotic fluid. The heart looks kind of large to me. Um, this is very, so the minute he starts talking, I just, I start hyper, hyperventilating. Like I can't breathe and I have the mask on and I'm just like, I, I can't explain what it was like. It was like somebody reached into your heart, into your chest and just ripped your heart out and crumpled you up. Like I, all of a sudden I was like, what do you mean? Like, and I just like start like bawling and he's still trying to talk to me and explain things. And then he realizes that I'm like just about to explode. And so he's like, is your husband here? He can come. And so I I call my husband and I'm like, you need to come in. Something's wrong. You need to come in. And so they let him come. And then the doctor sits down with us. And so he comes in and and the doctor starts explaining like, you know, from the beginning that, um, you know, I'm sorry, this happens from time to time. It's rare, but it happens. Your baby did develop any kidneys. Um, The baby makes his own amniotic fluid. Once he has kidneys, he starts making amniotic fluid. And the amniotic fluid is what the lungs use to grow. And so this whole process hasn't happened. He doesn't have any kidneys. There's no amniotic fluid. There's no chance of survival. Um, you may be able to carry to term. It'll take a lot of like medical intervention. We, we might be able to get you to term, but he has no chance. He'll die with either in childbirth or within minutes or hours. But I'm sorry, there's no, there's no chance. And so I'm just like falling. I can't breathe in my mask and, and, I'm like trying to be nice and I'm like, excuse me, sir, do you mind if I take my mask off so I can just blow my nose? And he's like, that's fine. So I'm just like, yeah, like my whole like life just like, and so so we get back in the car and we tell my mom and dad and my mom, of course, is crying again. And I feel so bad that I put her through this twice. She had to come with me twice to find out. So 
we got in the car and so like i start trying to research and stuff and like you know immediately like it's called bilateral renal renal adenesis it happens in one out of every three thousand or one out of every four thousand cases sometimes they can find the genetic cause sometimes most of the time it's just like random chance so by the time i get home i already i already i already understand the ultrasound doctor was very clear and everything i read online like there's there's no chance he doesn't have any kidneys he's going to go into renal failure like his he doesn't have lungs like it's over and so i i get home and i'm just like i'm just just destroyed like i don't even like there was nothing left in me when i got home so um i go upstairs and i'm just like trying to get myself together and my husband's upset but i think he's still kind of like in shock so we go home and then um the genetic counselor calls me and she kind of talks about everything and she was like you know do you need to talk do you and i was like no we're we're terminating the pregnancy i'm not gonna how how can you continue like this like yeah i i don't want to continue i can't and so she's like no i got it you know that's fine let's let's try and this is monday morning so she's like let's you know i can schedule something for friday you know but but you know we need to do some stuff before then and so um Tuesday morning, I talked to my own OBGYN. Well, actually, so Monday, I had already talked to the genetic counselor and we scheduled for Friday. And then I keep calling my OBGYN, the, the new one in California, uh, but she wasn't in that day. I guess she didn't come until Tuesday. So Tuesday, I, I keep calling the office. And then finally, someone picks up at the front desk and um, and they're like, oh, yeah, the, there's a doctor's note that they want you to go to labor and delivery. And I'm like, what? They want me to go where? Nobody told me anything. So again, like I fall apart that maybe I've missed something that I need to go. I need to be somewhere. And so a different OBGYN there, she picks up the phone and she's like, no, no, um, you know, we want you to go there just because for your own like mental well-being, we want you to go and make sure that your water didn't break. We, we all know it didn't break, but I just don't want you to question later whether maybe your water broke and maybe we just didn't see something or whatever. So, and again, now it's like, it's, it's coronavirus. And this is the beginning of coronavirus where like literally you were not leaving the house unless you had to. And so I'm, I'm also upset that I'm staying with my mom and dad who are older. And now because of this, like I, I keep putting them at risk every time I leave the house. So Tuesday I go to the, I go to labor and delivery and, and like I, I get there and you know, they have like the whole front desk check-in thing where they take like, your temperature and everything. And I was like, oh, I'm looking for labor and labor and delivery. And the lady's like, Oh, how far along are you? And like, I just wanted to destroy her. <laughs> like, like don't. And I, and, and I like kind of unload on her. I'm like, Oh, I'm 20 weeks and I'm going to have to terminate my pregnancy. And she's just like, it's like, Oh my God, I'm sorry. <laughs> this is the elevator. <laughs> so I, you said that to her. You, yeah. You told her yeah. This. I just, cause it's just like, don't ask me, like, just, just don't talk yep. to me. Yep. Exactly. So, exactly. Kinda like, yeah. So I just like shell shocked her. <laughs> so I, I, you know, I go upstairs and, and of course, and my doctor told me like, you know, you don't need to answer any questions. Just tell them you're here for, to check your water. But of course, the nurses ask me a ton of questions like, oh, did you feel your water break? Did you water burn? I'm like, no, I'm just here for the, just for the check. So just do the check. And, and I was not very nice. But, you know, so they check. And of course, my water didn't break. It's exactly how, what everyone thought it was. And so go back home. And, and I forgot. So Monday after my appointment, I email my work. I like send off a few emails and I tell them, I'm sorry, I'm going to need two weeks. Um, so Tuesday, again, I come back home and I'm just useless the whole rest of the day. And, um, Wednesday I go, uh, to a, um, a, an infant like cardio specialist, um, for them to do a, a fetal cardio echogram, um, because the ultrasound doctor had thought the heart looked big. So I, we didn't know at that point, is there two problems? Is there a heart problem and a kidney problem? Or is this just the mm-hmm. cascading effect from the kidney problem? And so 
that day was really rough because again, my husband couldn't come and I have to go to again, another hospital again, putting my whole family at risk every time I go. And so I, we go there and of course they don't know that I'm planning to terminate my pregnancy. This is another new doctor, new specialist. And so they, so it's like, I got there and my husband again, couldn't come, which just is awful because, and I kept telling everybody like at every front door, I kept trying to explain like, this is his baby too, please. He needs to be here. And they're all like, I'm sorry, only the patient can, can go in. So I go in there and I'm, I'm like, this is the last time I'm going to see my baby. This is the last time I'm going to see him on an ultrasound. Oh it's the last God. time I'm going to see him. And so they do, they do the, the, fetal, um, the fetal echocardiogram. And I think that doctor thought I was trying to continue the pregnancy. So she was really trying to do a good job to you know, see the heart or diagnose any problems. And she basically tells me at the end that, no, the heart looks fine, actually. It's just big because um, the chest is so small because there's no kidneys and no, no lungs. So the heart looks big in comparison. But the heart otherwise is fine from what we can see. Obviously, it's hard because there's no liquid. And that's what an ultrasound needs. And so she's like, the heart looks fine. So I think it's just the, the kidneys. Um, but the heart was starting to show some signs of strain from not having kidneys and lungs. So like it had a little bit of, I think, liquid around it. Um, but she thought it was just the kidney issue, which... At some point, it was a little bit of a relief that maybe at least there's only one thing wrong. There's not, you know, 10 things wrong. Okay. So that was that on Wednesday. And I was at least able to record the ultrasound and um, show it to my husband so that we could, like, watch it together at home. And um, so after I did the, the ultrasound, they, I go meet with a genetic counselor that I had been talking to. And so she goes over, and she's also very nice, and, and she goes over, you know, this is the genetic testing we can do you know, we can do this. And then if we find out this, then we can do this. But basically to summarize, I don't think that they understand the kidney and all the genes that well. So your problem may show up in the gene testing. It may not. That doesn't actually mean anything. <laughs> you could still, you could still have another baby with BRA. You could never have a baby with BRA again. It might be fluke. It might be a genetic thing that they can't see, or it might be a genetic thing that they can see. But basically either way, you're in the same situation. You either take the chance and try to get pregnant again, or you don't. Um, the only good thing is that if you know you have a problem, you can try to do a little bit of testing earlier, but that's pretty much the extent of it. Um, yeah. but we, but we agree that we want to do whatever genetic testing we can. And then she says, okay, so, you know, I have here that we're, we're trying for Friday, um, for the procedure. And I was like, I was like, yeah, just schedule it. You know, I, I want a DNA. Um, let's just, let's, let's just go. And she's like, okay, yeah, sorry. There's, there's another problem. Your insurance denied you. And I was like, excuse me, what, what? And she's like, yeah, well. Um, basically what's happened is even though I'm at this point a Washington resident and I'm now in California getting treatment and I'm well within the time frame for both Washington and California, what's happened is even mm -hmm. though my, my company is a California company and then they have another group of employees in Utah and then they have employees all over the U.S. So if you were outside of California, they told you to pick the Utah plan, which um, it was just, I didn't know it was a Utah plan. It was just, you know, pick plan two if you're outside of the state of California. So I had picked plan two. And the situs for plan two is Utah. And Utah says you can't get an abortion after 18 weeks unless your life is at risk. And so because of this thing that I didn't even know about, apparently my insurance was denied. And so I'm just like, just shell-shocked. Like, so and then I was like, okay, I don't care. Schedule, schedule it. That's fine. And she's like, okay, no, we need to talk about this because it's twenty to $25,000. <laughs> and I'm just like, wow. excuse me? <laughs> like, you're telling me that the word thing that's ever happened to me in my, in my life has happened and I'm going to lose my baby and I'm also going to owe $25,000 like what like this is why I have health insurance this is why I have a job 
and I picked health insurance and I pay my health insurance dues and I have a deductible that I've agreed is reasonable for me. This is why I have, like, and so I just like, and again, my husband's not speaker, I'm by myself. I just like, again, I start having ventilating and crying that I, I caused this misery or maybe I caused or this misery happened. And now I'm going to like cause my family $25,000 of debt because of, because of this. And so I'm just like, again, like crying and, and she's like, no, don't worry. Like, you know, I, and I was like, can I do anything? She's like, yeah, you can reach out to your HR, explain what happened, see if they can do anything because, you know, they pay the, they, they pick this insurance. Maybe they can put some pressure on the broker or, or something. So I, I leave her room and I'm just like wandering the court, the quarters of this huge hospital, just crying like an idiot down the hallways. And so I like find my way out and my mom was like, what happened? And I was like, nothing. They're saying that, that they won't pay for this, this surgery. And she's like, what do you mean? What, what does that mean? They want you to be pregnant. And I was like, I don't know. Someone somewhere has decided I need to be pregnant for 20 more weeks of this. Like, and my mom was like, that's absurd. Tell them, tell them to book it. Like we'll pay for it. And I was like, no, like, I don't, I don't want my parents to have to help me pay for this horrible thing. Like I have insurance. <laughs> so I, so I, I call my HR and she's very sweet. And so I call her and of course I don't want her knowing about this horrible thing that happened to me. I want, I don't want to explain that I made a baby that has no kidneys. Like I don't want to tell people about this. But I mean, I call her anyways, and I like try to not cry or make her uncomfortable. I try to just explain it just very quickly. And she was like, oh my gosh, I've never heard of this. Like, what do you mean? Why would Utah law have anything to do with you? And I was like, yes, apparently it does. And, and so she's like, okay, I'm going to connect you with the broker. Let's like, you know, let's do what we can. And so she gives me the phone number. I call the broker. And again, we're still on the, in the car on the way home. And so I call the broker. And again, it's, it's this nice, you know, gentleman. I try to explain to him very quickly and not be emotional, just explain what happened. And he's like, okay, that's fine. Send me an email, you know, connect me with the genetic counselor or whoever. So I, I send an email, I connect the two of them and I tell them, you know, you have my HIPAA authorization or whatever, please discuss. I, I need the surgery and I'm trying to do it on Friday and today's Wednesday afternoon. And so they now start sending emails back and forth and I'm CC'd and the genetic counselor is like, you know, this, this got denied and, and then he's responding back oh, it's because you didn't say that it was uniformly lethal. You need to put language in there that it's uniformly lethal. Otherwise, because you guys said it was elective. And then this um, genetic counselor, she's like, well, technically that is how we code it as elective because, you know, whatever. So now these people are going back and forth and I'm, and it's like, anybody except me would have killed themselves being on an email, like two days after they found out their baby is going to die, being on all these emails back and forth about how, oh no, you should have said uniformly lethal. You didn't say that. <laughs> you need to say this. Oh, because no one's, you know, so... Anyway, so all these emails are going back and forth and it's Wednesday and like my pre-op is supposed to be Thursday. So these are still going back and forth. Thursday morning, I wake up and like there's been some communication that most likely the insurance is going to cover it, but that this is not a procedure that they give pre-authorization for. So that's kind of the best that they can do, that this is probably covered. Um, and so Thursday, I go to the OBGYN um, and she is amazing. I like cannot say enough good things about her. She was so kind. Um, so I meet with her and she's like, you know, I understand there's some problems with your insurance. And I was like, no, you know, I think they've mostly figured it out. It's probably covered. And she was like, eh, you know, I've seen this go two ways. Sometimes it's covered and other times you end up with $25,000 of debt. And I just don't want that to happen to you. So let's just discuss what our choices are. And so she basically explains that if I go to the OR, um, then they will do full anesthesia and that's going to be, you know, the 20 to 25,000. If I do it in clinic, then it's going to be just sedation. And that's, you know, five to 7,000, something like that. And so she was like, I just want you to know, because you could get stuck with paying for it yourself either way. 
Um, and so then we spend, she spends probably an hour with me talking about kind of the pros and cons of doing it either way. And, you know, obviously general anesthesia always has a risk, but it's maybe it's safer because I'm already in the OR versus, you know, sedation is a little bit scary that you're going to, you're going to be sleepy, but you might remember some stuff and maybe I won't be able to, maybe I won't be okay with remembering some stuff. Maybe that's going to like psychologically hurt me more. And so, and also again, now COVID. <laughs> so all of a sudden she's like, oh my God, yes. Mm-hmm it's 4 30 if you're going to go to or you need to go right now to get a COVID test and i'm like okay well this is clearly not i clearly don't have time for that right now <laughs> so and then you know we get my mom and um my husband on the phone and both of them pretty much are like you know do whatever you feel comfortable with but at the same time it's like i don't want i don't want to cost my family twenty five thousand dollars. so um and but and then my mom who is amazing she you know she's like you know do not think about the money whatever the difference in, in cost is we'll donate the rest of it to planned parenthood i don't care don't worry about the cause. And I didn't know this, but my doctor also works at Planned Parenthood. So she starts crying. <laughs> She's like, that's so sweet or whatever. Yeah. And so um, kind of in talking it through, it just, it just seemed like, like doing it in clinic. And I really liked my doctor and she would be the one that would do it in clinic. She was, she said most likely if I did it in the OR that she would, she's like, I don't have anything else booked. So I probably could go over and be with you two there. But you know, if it was in clinic, it would definitely be with her. And so we just decided to do it in clinic. And like this whole time, I mean, I've been crying. I've been like just upset, but I've been worried about this insurance thing. Like, you know, am I, am I going to now burden my family with this as well? And so that night kind of, you know, they, they do like their, their pre-op stuff, which is not, not comfortable. It's painful. Um, but she had told me, you know, the worst today is the better tomorrow is going to go. So I kind of, you know, I don't say anything and, you know, I go home and that's like the first night that my husband and I got to just like grieve together. Because up to then, you know, he's like trying to keep doing his classes and keep himself together and like, you know, keep his family informed because they're not with us. Um, they're not in California with us. And so that night, like, you know, we take out the heartbeat. Um, we take out the heartbeat um, <laughs> Doppler thingy and we just like, we just listen to his heartbeat together and <laughs> try to say goodbye. <laughs> and it's just, it's just rough. Like, you know, for me, it's rough because I I grew him. Like, I gave him all the food, everything I ate. I was like, oh, he's getting seven up. Like, you know, he's getting Oreos. You know, he's like, I gave him orange juice. Like, now he got fresh vitamin C. I need to increase my protein. He has to get more protein. <laughs> like, I was so, like, I was like 20 years in the future. I was like, you know, I need to get him a nanny that speaks at least two languages. And I, so I can teach him two. She can, you know, she can teach him two and he'll know at least four. And he's going to play V sports and I'm not going to let him, you know, play college sports because you, know, you just get injured and you don't get paid. And, you know, I was like, I was like making plans like for 20 years in the future for this kid. And, and this whole time I was like, you know, somebody in there and somebody was in there and his heart was beating and he was the right size. He grew all his fingers and he grew all his toes and he made like a skeleton for himself. He, like he made, you know, but he wasn't going to make it. He didn't have kidneys. Like when I, when I had a miscarriage last year, I, I told myself like, well, maybe this baby, you know, maybe he had, you know, wherever, wherever souls are, maybe he had like another soul that he really cared about. And, and maybe he, he couldn't stay with us because he had to go be with somebody else. And so, Maybe he saw that I was sad, so he tried to send me another baby. And then this baby loved me. That baby kind of had to go. Yeah, other stuff too. 
this baby like loved me too much. He didn't make all the organs he needed to leave. Like he made no plans to leave me. And so, you know, you like you try to like make up all these stories, trying to like explain why this happened. And so, like, well, maybe our next kid is such a troublemaker that like, he needed two kids up there to watch after him. Like, or my, I don't know. Like, there's like literally like five stories we made up. So we just like that night we just like cried and we just like listened to his heartbeat and and cried and we like you know took our last picture of him like we took a picture like of us holding hands on top of my belly and that was gonna be like our last picture with him and and then you know next morning and wake up and we go to the we go there and um my husband's just like crying the whole way like again for him it was you know i have a son and now i'm gonna lose my son like who would my son have been i'm not gonna get to meet my son like for him it was like the fact that it was a son like really hit him a lot and so I, I go there and, um, you know, we got there at like eight 30, my procedure was at nine. So we get there and I'm kind of like, you know, cracking jokes and crying, like in the same few minutes, like just kind of all over the place. And the nurses were really nice to me. And, you know, they were like, and I was, and again, my husband couldn't come again. I tried at the front door that this is his baby too. Could, is there any way, please he'll sit in the lobby. Like, oh please. Yeah. And they're like, no, I'm sorry. You know, I'm really sorry, but nobody can come. And and that was another reason that we didn't want to do the OR because I would have been there for hours by myself before my procedure. He couldn't have come with me and you have to be there like two hours early. This at least would have been like, you know, 30 minutes and, and then they could have seen me. So, so I'm sitting there and, and all the nurses are talking and the doctor had told me a few times, she was like, don't worry. Sometimes they go, you know, light on the sedation drugs. I'm going to tell them to like bump it up. Don't worry. <laughs> you're you're going to be out. Like you're going to, you know, it's so all the nurses are, are just trying, trying to be nice to me. And they're like, you know, it's okay. This happens. And and we see women here and then we see them giving birth. Like, don't worry. Like, you're, you're going to be okay. You're going to get through this. You're going to have a healthy baby after this. And so, and you know, they're like setting up music for me and stuff. And um, I had talked to the doctor the day before. Um, she had asked me, you know, what do you want us to do with his body afterwards? Um, and then she had asked me if I wanted her to keep his footprints, like to make imprints on his footprints. And so... I had asked my husband and he said he wanted the footprints and I did too. And that was also very hard that he's this little person and he has footprints. Like he made all his toes, like he was supposed to made all his fingers. So she had told me that she would try to get an imprint of his footprints. And I asked her if she could also try to get an imprint of his um, handprints as well. And she said she would try. And so I sit in the chair and, you know, they, they start the sedation. And, but before they do, I'm just like, I'm like, please, please do a good job. Please. I have to get pregnant again please don't like leave anything in there. Please don't like, please don't perforate my uterus. <laughs> like, please, like, please, I need to get pregnant. Please. I can't like, I have to get pregnant again. Like, and I'm just like crying and, and they're like, no, you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. And so, you know, they sedate me and it's pretty much like, just like a twilight feeling. Like I felt a little bit of tugging, a little bit of pain here and there, but nothing, nothing much. And then it's, it's over. And I kind of like, I'm you know starting to wake up again. And this whole time, it's like, you know, I, I kept asking her, I was like, is he cute? Like, was, is he cute? Does he have a cute little, like, does he have a cute nose? Like, and then, and then she, she like goes and comes back. She's like, yes, he has, he had a cute nose. And then I kind of, I got this thing in my head. I was like, I should ask if I can see his face. Cause like, you shouldn't leave this earth without your mommy seeing your face. <laughs> and so I asked her, I was like, you know, I mean, I know what a DNA procedure is like. It's, you know. But I was like, is there, is there any way if it's not going to traumatize me, is there any way that I could see his face? And she was like, well, you know, let me see. I'm not sure. And 
but then um she went and she was like okay i, I can show you his face and so she had him just kind of like wrapped in a towel like i couldn't really see much of him but his face was out and so i got to see his face which i'm, I'm really happy about because i got to see his face before he left and at the same time i'm like really conflicted because i mean i know what that procedure is like and you know i i, I saw him when he was i saw him when he was gone but i got to see his face he looks so much like my husband. <laughs> Sorry. He looks like my husband. My husband's like asleep. If my husband didn't have a big beard, <laughs> he's like he looks like my husband. Like he has this cute little nose. <laughs> he looks like my husband. <laughs> I struggle with the fact that I saw him, but I know I did the right thing. I saw him because you know, your mommy has to see your face before you leave. <laughs> but my husband didn't get to see his face, but I think that's okay. I don't think my husband could have taken it. So, I, so my procedure was at nine, and by ten, by ten o'clock, like I'm completely out of sedation, and they told me I could leave, and they gave me his, the imprint of his hands and his feet, and it was so little. It was like a little squirrel, like foot. It was so little. <laughs> and so um i go back out and i've only been gone at this point like an hour like maybe just a little bit more than that so my husband picks me up again and i don't know if it was the drugs or like what but i get in the car and i'm just like i just like feel so light because up until then it was like i knew i had to do this i knew i was gonna lose him i didn't know if i was gonna get hurt too like was i gonna make it out of this and so i just like got in the car and i was like no, babe, everything's okay. Like, he's gone, but obviously he he didn't want to be here on this earth. Like, for whatever reason, he didn't want to be here. You know, maybe he's with the other baby from last from last year. Maybe they're together. Or my great grandmother always wanted a son, and she miscarried. She never got to have a son. And early in my pregnancy, my aunt had a dream that my she saw my great grandmother like bouncing a really chubby like blonde baby, and and <laughs> we thought that that was my son. And so we were like, well maybe he's with my great grandma maybe maybe that dream was her telling us that she was going to take care of him and so i was like maybe yeah. everything's okay like he's he's safe it's it's over like we're okay and and like that was the best like of the whole miserable week like that hour of just like it was over like we're okay we still have each other we're okay and then i just like i kept thinking this is the worst this is the worst thing that's happened to us but even even with that this is still the good times, you know, my, my mom and dad are alive. His mom and dad are alive. I still have my grandmother. We have like my aunts and my uncles. I have my cousins. Like this is probably still the best time of our life because all of our family's alive. Like in 20 years, we won't have all these important people anymore either. So I'm just like, it's okay. This like, we're going to be okay. And we get home and kind of that, that feeling like goes away. And, you know, we spend the whole day kind of just like crying, like every little thing just like sets me off. Um, like my mom, this this whole month that I had been home, like she was like so excited. Like every time she would give me food, she'd be like, "Oh, I'm so happy!" You know, the baby got you know some meat. The baby got some this, whatever. So she like she tries to make me some like fresh squeezed orange juice, and she gives it to me, and I'm just like, "No, I don't need this. I'm garbage now. Like I don't have anybody anymore. I'm not special. Like I don't I don't need anything. Who, who cares what I eat? I'm nothing." So like just like you know, you know small things like that. Orange juice like just like set set me off, and I'm like destroyed again. Like. I just don't understand, like, I don't understand, like, 
I had him. He was inside me and he was nice and safe. And now he's just like gone and I'm nothing. I'm just, I'm just me. I'm, I'm nothing anymore. And I kind of, um, like kind of just like a lot of ups and downs, like the next week I joined. And this was like, again, Monday to Friday. <laughs> so I joined a, a Facebook group for other moms who have lost babies to um, BRA. And even though it's like one in 4,000, there's like 600 moms in that Facebook group, which, um, oh, wow. and so, yeah. yeah. And so and it's, and some moms that are like me, like it just happened. And there's some that like it happened to them 10 years ago and it's still kind of part of their story and they want to join the group. A lot of them do the genetic testing. Um, and they find out that there's nothing. I hadn't, I haven't seen one person so far who posted saying that, you know, there was a genetic cause and they figured it out or anything. Almost everyone, it's, they say it's nothing. And then some of them, you know, they had this horrible experience and then their next baby was healthy and they had three more healthy babies. And everything was fine. Some of them, this happens to them. Then they miscarry. Then they have one healthy. Then they have a BRA again, even though there was supposedly no genetic cause. Wow. And then they miscarry. And so it's like, so that was the other thing that I kept crying because I was like, is it, is it over? did I, is my bad luck over? Like I had a miscarriage and then I had this, like, am I good now? I'm going to have like healthy babies or am I looking at another, like another 10 years of like, of this kind of loss? Cause even now it's like, I'm fine. I'm mostly fine. But like, I look at pictures of myself from my wedding and I'm like, Oh, she was so happy. I'm not her anymore. That's like this, this different happy person. Like I'm this person whose heart got ripped out with like something else got shoved back in like I'm not her anymore so like I just I just don't know I I just don't know if I can if this can happen to me again and I'll still be a person after that like are you still a person when this happens to you again um I did I I did whatever genetic testing and it came back like you know negative so they didn't like figure anything out and that doesn't mean that there's no no genetic cause it's just nothing that they saw or not none of the things that they test for like popped up so um yeah so my doctor had told me to wait, you know, uh, like three months, uh, before I try again. And right now, um, uh, it's been two months. So we're a month away from being able to try. And it's just really scary because I, I just don't know if I can like do this again. It's just, I just don't know if I can do this again. I don't know. I don't know if I can lose another baby and just still be a human anymore. I, um, this, this whole experience has made me think about that a lot, just because like you said, I was the best case scenario. I, uh, the doctor, the ultrasound doctor that I saw on Monday, I didn't know this, but he was actually like an expert. So had I gone somewhere else for my ultrasound, they would have sent me to him next to confirm. I happened to see him first. And then I happened to be somewhere where I could see a fetal, um, you know, expert, fetal cardio expert uh, and immediately know that everything, you know, what was going on with the heart and I could meet with the genetic counselor that same day. And money, although I, I didn't want to be $25,000 in debt, I could have, I could have made it happen somehow. Um, I like, again, I, I have a lot of education behind me. I was able to immediately start researching. I found that Facebook group and found a lot of like support and info through those moms as well. I had, I had, I had everything going for me, for me. I was the best of the worst case scenario. But there's women that let's say, let's say that there's some arbitrary deadline at, and you need some more time to make up your mind. Maybe you need some time to, to, to get the money together. Maybe you need some time to go see the right doctors and really confirm. Maybe you need a second opinion. Maybe you need to go see your priest. Maybe you need to, you know, maybe you need a few weeks. And because of some, some deadline, you've missed it. And now for the next 20 weeks, you're a wreck. Like that, that week, the Monday to Friday, I was useless. Like you couldn't talk to me. Any small thing like made me just want to die. 
like we had just started to feel movement from him. And up till then, every time he moved, I would be like, like the feeling it's like nothing else. It's like, you feel so special. Like you have this like perfect life in you and he's moving and like up, you know, every time like I'd like my husband to come running and like try to feel it from Monday on every time he like moved, I just wanted to die. Like, like it was awful. And, and this is just me. I just have my husband and a dog, but like, what if, what if you have kids? What if you have other kids that you have to get yourself together for all the time for the next 20 weeks, they have to see their mom destroyed. How is she supposed to earn money? How is she supposed to go to work? How is she supposed to keep it together for children? She, you can't, you're just like punishing, punishing people. And I know there, that there are women that, um, especially I, I, in the, in the BRA Facebook group, there are some women that decide to carry to term or as far as they can get along and, you know, give birth. And then they, they have a few minutes or a few hours with their baby or their baby is born dead. And they're able to hold their baby even after it dies for six, seven hours. Like some of the women tell stories like that, that, you know, their baby died and they held it for six, seven hours. And then finally, you know, let the nurses take it. That, that would have killed me. Like I, I had to protect whatever was left of me as a person after what happened to us. I, there would have been nothing left of me if I had, if I had to go through this for 20 weeks, I would have, I would have been nothing like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I feel like one of the things that's really important about our perspective on this is that we're not lawyers, we're not policy developers, but we are physicians who care for patients. And so these are the stories that we hear and these are the stories that we fight for every day. And I think that that's why this is so important to us. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you hear her story and you, your heart breaks and Erica, you and I, I know I, because I work with you, like we have sat in rooms with patients over and over and over again as they tell equally heartbreaking stories. And unless you're, unless you know someone who's gone through it, or unless you've gone through it yourself, I mean, it's just unfathomable almost because it's yeah. so horrific the trauma. Yeah. So she's I'm so brave so, for sharing her story with us. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Until next time. Vagina, vagina, vagina. If you've liked this episode of The V Word, please visit us at www.vwordpod.com and listen, rate, and subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and wherever else you get your podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at vwordpod. This podcast was written and produced by the V Word team, Dr. Jennifer Conti, Dr. Erica Cahill, and Bethany Bonilla. Thanks for listening.